0: If you want to open your Bibles with me to Psalm 23 as we continue our our slow, steady walk through this particular poem, psalm, prayer, and uh, we are looking at the second half of verse 5 this morning, the second half of verse 5 this morning, um, and uh, I will read the whole psalm But let's pay particular attention to verse 5, the latter half of it. David writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together for the Lord's blessing on our time. Father, I ask, I beg, I long for you to anoint the reading and preaching of your word with the presence and power of your Holy Spirit so that your word would go into our hearts, piercing our hearts, and that it would bring forth the fruit of repentance so that we might experience refreshment Enjoy in your presence glorify yourself and give us much good through our time together we pray in jesus name amen amen this day of grace 1654 from about half past 10 at night to about half after midnight fire God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. Not of the philosophers and scholars. Security, feeling, joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, greatness of the human soul, joy, 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 tears of joy. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, may I never be separated from him. These words are, are found as a journal entry in a mathematician, scientist, Blaise Pascal, in his journal in the year 1654. On that day, he, he had an experience. He, he experienced the, the overwhelming, glorious presence of our triune God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He experienced the presence of his God and Father and of his Savior, Jesus Christ. He he did not merely know that God is good, he had tasted and seen that the Lord is good. In his soul, he experienced the goodness of the presence of the Lord. And there is a difference. There is a difference. As, as, as one pastor of old once put it, there's a difference between having a rational judgment that honey is sweet and having a sense of its sweetness. And that's true. You can be told that honey is sweet and by that have some level of intellectual comprehension of its sweetness. But when you actually taste honey... It's more than an intellectual understanding. You've actually experienced the delightful sweetness of honey. You've actually experienced it. And, and likewise, I can tell you as your pastor, I can, as a preacher of God's word, I can tell you that God is good and great and glorious and gracious. And you can know the facts and even regurgitate them. You can read in the Bible true things about God and comprehend them and even assent to them. But that's different from experiencing his presence and joy and life within your very own soul. And of course, experience for us As Christians, it's not the basis of our faith. The scriptures are the basis, the foundation, the bedrock of our faith. But but our faith in the biblical text will ordinarily lead to the biblical experience. Christianity is not a cold and merely intellectual faith. It's one of joy and peace and refreshment and delight and affection. It's one of experience. Experience. Now, the reason we're starting with this is because what, this is one of the distinct characteristics of Psalm 23. It's, it's how focused it is on, on experience. And Joel Beeke, he's the president of, of the Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary. He says about this, he says this about Psalm 23. He says, Psalm 23 is a song of spiritual experience. It's not just a declaration of truth, though this is also precious to the believer. It is truth made real to the soul through the exercise of faith. Perhaps you've you've noticed this as as we've kind of slowly meandered through these green pastures and beside these still waters. Perhaps you've noticed that David speaks of the feelings of his soul and and uses sensory language to speak about the Lord's leadership and guidance in his life. It's a psalm of, of experience, It was David's experience. And and here's the thing, though, is is Christian, it can be your experience too. Maybe not exactly like Pascal. And maybe you wouldn't quite verbalize it the same as as David. But in some measure or another, your, your soul can and ought to experience the refreshing and gladdening presence of our shepherd host. And that's the lines we're exploring today testify to us. They're very experiential and and sensory metaphors, aren't they? You you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. What we see here is that the Lord's presence refreshes and gladdens his people. The Lord's presence refreshes and gladdens his people. And we're going to explore that as we look at, at first, the oil of refreshment, and second, the cup of gladness. First, though, we see the oil of refreshment. As you'll remember from, from last week, our psalm has, has made a turn. We've had an abrupt change in, in metaphor. In Psalm 23, verses 1 through 4, David was illustrating for us how, how uh, our relationship with the Lord is like that of a sheep to their shepherd. But now he's, 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 he's turned to, to, to tell us that our relationship with the Lord is, is not only like that of a sheep to their shepherd, but our relationship with the Lord is like that of an honored guest to their gracious host. He's he's left the green hills and the, the quiet streams. He's walked all the way through the valley of the shadow of death. He's hung up the rod and the staff, and now he's got us in the dining hall in the house of the Lord. He's saying that he has experienced God's welcome like an honored guest receives the welcome of a gracious host. And now last week we saw how the Lord, as, as the Lord's honored guest, he, he serves us and exalts us by preparing a table before us in the presence of our enemies. But here we see that, that that's not all he does as our gracious host. David also says, You anoint my head with oil. You anoint my head with oil. To, to anoint with oil means to rub and to to rub and pour oil on someone's head and hair. And this was a very common Old Testament practice. It was practiced for a multitude of reasons and on a, a number of different occasions. Among them, perhaps, the most significant reason this was practiced was that of consecration for and conferment of authority on a, on a, position, a, a person of authority, on, a, on their office of authority. The three main leaders in the Old Testament, the, the prophets, the priests, and the kings, They were anointed with oil as a sign that they had been set apart by the presence of God for the purpose of these offices. Of course, in connection with this, you might remember then that David is king in Israel. He was a king in Israel, and as king in Israel, he was anointed with oil. Kings in Israel, they were not so much crowned as they were christened. They were anointed with oil as a sign of their kingship. And this act, it symbolized that this person has, has received the presence of the Spirit of God to fulfill their particular vocation. For example, in, in 1 Samuel 10, 1-9, when King Saul, the first king in Israel, was anointed as king, Samuel tells him, as he's anointing him, that the Spirit of the Lord is going to rush upon him to equip him for this office. And then likewise, in 1 Samuel 16, 12 and 13, a little later on, when David was anointed king of Israel, it says that from that day forward, the Spirit of the Lord was upon David. You see, anointing with oil was a sign and symbol of the presence of the Holy Spirit having been placed on the leaders of God's people. But then we should also see that that David's kind of multi-layered meaning here speaks to another purpose, not just that of consecration and conferment, but of course, you, you see, when he says, you anoint my head with oil, we, we could see his, 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 uh, a reference to his literally being anointed as king of Israel. But, but when in red, in light of the metaphor at work here, we would also do well to remember another purpose for anointing with oil as an act of hospitality. Uh, anointing with oil was, was an act of a, a gracious host, and they would bestow upon their, their honored guests. In those days and in that place, when a guest Would arrive at the house of a host, especially if he had had a a long and arduous journey. It was custom for the host to pour oil on the head of the guest. And such... And act was hospitable because the, the guest was likely to arrive in, in pretty rank condition having been baking all day in, in the hot sun that in that dry desert land, having been away from their home and all the amenities therein, having the dirt and the dust of the road upon their skin and in their hair he, he probably felt pretty grimy and smelled pretty gross. And so then that oil was poured upon his, his head as the guest. And, and this oil, it was olive oil, but, but it wasn't necessarily like the olive oil you might find in your cupboard today. It's more like a, a fine and fragrant perfume or cologne. Cologne. It was infused with all sorts of fragrant herbs and spices causing the guest's odor to improve, but then then also it would moisten his dry skin and cleanse his grimy hair and body. It was meant to confer a kind of refreshment. Recently, I put together a garage gym in our house, you know, when when all of this started. and The gyms closed. I couldn't go to the Y anymore. I couldn't get my, my bench press on, if you will. And uh, strength training was, is, is really important to me, and, and so I, I was determined to keep doing it. And, and so I, I got a squat rack and a couple barbells and some plates and some kettlebells, and, and I set up a, a garage gym. Uh, but one of the things that's been interesting about it is that for the first time, I'm actually lifting without any sort of climate control. There's no heat in our garage. There's no AC. And so if it's cold outside, I lift in the cold. If it's hot and humid outside, I lift in the heat and humidity. Well, I could probably spare you the gory details of how disgustingly drenched I was in sweat yesterday after my deadlifts and squats. But I tell you, there's nothing quite as refreshing when you get that gross and that disgusting as simply heading inside and taking a nice, cool shower. You've probably experienced this after working in your yard or your garden. You've probably experienced this after going for a long run on a hot and humid day. You feel gross. You feel grimy. You feel rank. And so what do you do? You head inside and you hop in the shower. It's a much needed and hygienic refreshment. Oh, that's what anointing with oil was supposed to be like in that part of the world. And in those days, it was meant to confer refreshment upon the honored guest of the gracious host. But Then remember that this metaphor, this, this metaphor here, David is He's not speaking literally about the Lord's anointing him with oil and refreshing him with oil. He's, he's speaking about how the, 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 the Lord refreshes his soul with his presence in the same way, in a similar way that a, 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 a gracious host refreshes an honored guest with oil. The Lord's presence refreshes him like an honored guest is refreshed by his host's oil. Not only does the presence of the Spirit of the Lord consecrate and set him apart as the King of Israel, but the presence of the Lord also refreshes and renews him within the Lord's anointing of David with his presence refreshes his soul like a grimy guest is refreshed by this hospitable and gracious act. But then we would also do well to remember that in the new covenant, the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit Is not only on certain high-ranking individuals like kings and prophets and priests. In the new covenant, all of God's people receive the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle John of 1 John 2.20 and 2.27, he speaks of all Christians as having been anointed by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. We've all been christened with the presence of God, and thus we all have the gracious opportunity to experience the refreshment and renewal of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. That is to say, our souls don't need to be continually or constantly weighed down with weariness, with guilt, with shame, with fear, with fatigue. Our souls don't need to be withered and cracked and dry, and cold, like those weary travelers anointed by their hosts, and like King David, we can all say with confidence, you anoint my head with oil. We can all be refreshed in the presence of our God and Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. His oil of refreshment is ours in Christ. But then not only the oil of refreshment, also next we see the, the cup of gladness, the cup of gladness the lord not only anoints the heads of his people with oil he also when he welcomes them he hands them an overflowing cup david says my cup overflows again we're we're given a picture of of hospitality common in david's culture when an honored guest enters the dining hall his host would hand him a cup of wine in israel wine was was a sign of joy and gladness Sometimes the prophets, they would announce that a lack of wine was coming upon Israel, which symbolized a lack of joyness and uh, joyfulness and, and gladness amongst God's people. But when the prophets would speak of God's restoration and blessing amongst the people, they would sometimes promise an abundance of wine. It symbolized God's joy and blessing. But then David not only speaks of having a cup of wine given to him when he enters into God's dining hall, as if the Baptists weren't already offended enough, He also speaks of his cup as overflowing. There's an abundance of wine. And this may get sort of lost in translation here, but it speaks to a kind of inebriating joy that the Lord provides in his presence. In fact, the Septuagint translates this particular line like this. It says, your cup was supremely intoxicating. Similarly, the, the Latin Vulgate translates it like this, my chalice, which inebriates me. How good is it? You see, that's that's what David is getting at when he speaks of an overflowing cup. And don't misunderstand, David is not condoning drunkenness. Rather, he's he's speaking to how the Lord's presence and blessing fills him with an abundance of inebriating gladness in his soul. In fact, in Psalm 16, we see David describe this this very experience. And, And coincidentally, Psalm 16 and Psalm 23 go hand in hand. You should read them together. Psalm 16 is is the psalm that begins the section of psalms that Psalm 23 concludes. Psalm 16 and Psalm 23 serve as bookends of a particular grouping of psalms. And because of that, they, they contain many similarities and several common themes. And one of these themes is of joy in connection with a cup. In Psalm 16, David says, the Lord is my cup. Because the Lord is his cup, he says in verse 9, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. In verse 11 of Psalm 16, he says, In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Fullness of joy and endless pleasure in God's presence. Not just a little bit of joy, not just some vain fleeting pleasures. But fullness of joy forever and ever, in an abundance of joy, an overflowing joy, an inebriating kind of joy. And realize this is this is a kind of joy which reigns independent of one's circumstances. This is the kind of joy which cannot be taken away by the presence of enemies or pandemics or walking through the valley of the shadow of death. This is the kind of joy which sustains in the middle of lean times and in the midst of abundance. This is the kind of joy which Jesus says the world does not know and the world cannot take away because it is not found in the world. This source of joy is the presence of God, the God of all joy and all blessing and abundance. And preachers of old in England, they used to tell a story about an elderly woman who lived alone in her broken-down cottage. She was dirt poor. She didn't have two nickels to rub together. But one night, she sat down at her dinner table to eat a measly piece of bread to drink her small glass of water. And when she went to pray, her heart was so overwhelmed with gratitude and joy, she said, What? All this and Jesus too! All she had was a small broken-down cottage, a small piece of measly bread, a small glass of water, but because she had the presence of her God and Savior, she could say with all confidence and sincerity, my cup overflows. My cup overflows. The Lord in his presence grants us the oil of refreshment, and the cup of gladness so by way of application before we close part of what i want us to consider this morning is this christian do we know what david is talking about here do we know what he's talking do we know this kind of refreshment in gladness remember this 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 psalm is not a it's not merely a declaration of truth it's one of experience are we experiencing the kind of refreshment in the presence of the lord that david speaks of here Do we know anything of the kind of joy that David is speaking about here? Do we know anything about the kind of joy that would cause him to strip down to his skivvies and dance like a fool for the presence of the Lord, so much so that his wife is embarrassed of him? Do we know anything about the kind of joy that might cause our pens to write and our tongues to exclaim with words like at your right hand are pleasures forevermore? Do we know anything about this kind of joy and refreshment? Is your soul regularly being refreshed in the presence of God? Or would you describe the state of your soul as cold, as weary, as dry? Could you be described as a person of joy and gladness in the Holy Spirit? Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, by the way. Or is your attitude characterized more by cynicism and complaining so I would say to you that you are not enjoying and experiencing that which God has for you in Christ. And so often the reason that we aren't experiencing God's refreshment and joy is because we've fallen out of repentance. So often in the Christian life, refreshment and joy is just on the other side of repentance. This is why the apostle Peter in Acts three nineteen and 20 tells the crowd listening to him to repent so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Likewise, the teacher of Proverbs, in Proverbs 3, 7-8, through 8 advises this. He says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. You see, nothing wearies and atrophies the soul like sin, and nothing refreshes and renews the soul like repentance. Sin weighs down the soul with guilt, shame, and fear, but repentance is the instrument with which God lifts those heavy burdens. Sin leaves our souls withered, dried, cracked, and marred. Repentance cleanses and moisturizes and restores their health. Sin leads to to misery and heartache, repentance to the restoration of joy, the joy of our salvation. Sin would keep us from enjoying and experiencing the presence of God, repentance turns to him and receives his refreshing and gladdening presence. If your soul is weary, fatigued, and sick, repentance is God's prescription. And so what is repentance then? We ought not think, as is so often thought, that that repentance is mere moral improvement. We ought not see it as as picking ourselves up by our own bootstraps and trying to be better people. That is a foul substitute for repentance. Biblical repentance is not mere moral improvement. Biblical repentance is running away from sin and sorrow for it and hatred of it and running to the God of welcome. And I would remind you, Christian, that this is not merely something you do at the beginning of the Christian life. Rather, repentance is meant to characterize the whole of the Christian life. It's not an action of a single moment. Our lives are meant to be characterized by sorrow and hatred for sin, not excuses, explanations, and blame shifting. Our lives are meant to be characterized by running away from sin, not continuing in it or running to it. And if they're not, then we will know little of the refreshment and gladness of the presence of the Lord. We will know little of the refreshment of his anointing and the joy of his overflowing cup. Don't misunderstand, repentance is not an act on our part that merits God's refreshing and gladdening presence. Instead, it's the instrument through which he gives these gifts to us. Repentance is, is, is only the open hand that receives God's gracious welcome. What merits God's refreshing and gladdening presence in our lives is not our repentance, but our Redeemer. The refreshment and gladness of God's presence has been bought and paid for by the suffering and death of Jesus Christ. The Son of God came in human form to live the life that you and I should have lived. As Peter says in Acts 10.38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. He was God's anointed one who alone lived the good and righteous life that we should live. But then instead of immediately being welcomed into God's house and given the cup of God's gladness, he received a very different kind of cup. On the cross, he took the cup of condemnation in our place. But he took that cup willingly and for the joy set before him, praying in Matthew 26, 39, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And so he took the cup of condemnation upon himself that we deserve because of our sins so that we might be welcome into God's house and given the cup that he deserves so that we would receive times of refreshment and gladness in the presence of our God. This experience has been purchased for us in Christ, Christian. And so I beg of you, Let your life be characterized by running to God, not hiding or running away from him. Forsake sin and run to him. If you do, you will find refreshment and gladness in his presence. Times of refreshing will come in the presence of the Lord. He will restore to you the joy of your salvation. He will anoint your head with the oil of refreshment. He will hand you the cup of gladness. Run to him and receive it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, so often our hearts are so weary and weighed down with sin and guilt and shame and fear. And we confess that to you now, Lord, and and, and we say that we long to experience the the refreshment of your presence, the, the gladness of your presence. We want to experience the the life of you, our triune God, within our very own souls. And so we ask, grant true belief and true repentance to us. Give us that which takes hold of your gracious promises in Christ. Give us that which grabs hold of the oil of refreshment and the cup of gladness. Help us, Lord, because we need that kind of refreshment and joy. Your joy, the joy of the Lord, is our strength. And we need it because we're weak. We need it because we're weary. We need it because we're broken. And so help us, Lord. Heal us, Lord. Give us times of refreshing in your presence. Restore to us the joy of your salvation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.